This is Jason Davidson. Welcome to the Sean Newman Podcast. Happy Monday, everyone. Hopefully, uh, this Monday finds you well. It is uh, start of the week again, although really, you know, none of these days really mean anything anymore. All, all of them kind of are muddled together. But uh, happy Monday, nonetheless. I had a fun weekend. I turned uh, 34 in the weekend. I, um, for the birthday, went and shot gophers, drank some Pilsner. It was uh, a little bit of normal normalcy in life that uh, I think a lot of us have been missing for a long time. So I got to enjoy some of that on the weekend. I hope uh, I hope everyone out there is doing doing good. It looks like we're gonna have golf here. Well, very soon. Alberta and Saskatchewan starting to uh, unlock some of their courses. That's gonna hopefully help everyone. You know, just stress. Uh, get rid of some of that stress it's been it's been a long time and it'll be nice to to do some some fun things again now want to remind everybody that if you want to get your business info on the podcast for free while this COVID-19 lockdown is going on hit me up Instagram Twitter or Facebook more than happy to put you on here and if it helps you guys you know great I uh not looking to make anything off it just want to just want to get some uh people uh you know, let them know that uh, they're, you know, their customers out there that you're still open, you're still, you know, finding a way to do business in these crazy times. Um, Lloyd Mr. Regional Health Foundation would like to thank all their or all our local healthcare team who responded so quickly to the COVID-19 pandemic. Our local hospital leaders moved fast to secure life-saving supplies for the frontline staff, and within days, our hospital had a strong stock of life-saving supplies from the local community. And this happened because of you, our donors. Thanks to the strong support of our, all our donors over the many years, our frontline workers are empowered to care for all of us through the Lloydminster Region Health Foundation. If you're looking for ways to help, a COVID-19 emergency fund has been started. While there is no pressure to give in these uncertain times, we are taking donations to cover a variety of items that have already been purchased and still need to be purchased. Um, the Health Foundation encourages those looking to donate to call us at 306-820-6161 or online at lrhf.ca backslash donate. Uh, the other thing is they're accepting cards and letters for uh, of support and encouragement for the health care staff and isolated residents and patients. These can be mailed to our office. For more information, visit our website, lrhf.ca. Chris Weeb, Creva Concrete, they're open for business, specialize in commercial, agriculture, residential, um, basement floors, driveways, sidewalks, patios, garage shops, barns, countertops. I mean, you dream it, they'll do it. Give the boys a call, 780-871-1083. Kenny Rutherford, I was in the podcast, Mr. Rutherford Appraisal Group. Uh, in these difficult times, if you're in need of any appraisal work from a bank loan, setting a fair purchase price, whether you're buying or selling any type of real estate, shop, homes, farms, cabins, re- restaurants, etc., give Ken Rutherford a call, 306-307-1732. Ken is the man. Carly Clausen, I just saw him there the other day. Uh, side note with uh, Carly, I uh, Shay is, my son is... Uh, his rode his strider since he's like two and for those of you without kids it's a, a bike without pedals balance whatever blah 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 and then now we're gonna get him a bike with training wheels right and uh carly Clausen and colby Mann were like no 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 you had him riding a strider just put him onto the bike with no training wheels so that's what we did 
And I was kind of like, I don't know how this is going to go. Well, I tell you what, Carly and Colby, you guys knocked it out of the park because he is, uh, I'm having a hard time keeping up to him. But uh, it took him, you know, a couple hours and all of a sudden, would you look at that? He's biking like crazy now. So shout out to Carly Claus and Windsor Plywood. They are still open, regular hours. Call ahead so you can uh, help with physical distancing. They have curbside pickup or free in-town delivery while this current situation is at hand. Colin Ringette, CR Sales and Marketing, is hoping everyone is staying healthy and safe. And if you're looking for a unique and cost-effective approach to sales and marketing within the oil and gas industry, give Colin a call, 780-871-1417. Corey Dubik, Midwest Flooring, they're open regular hours. Call, stop in, or shop online. Lori LaBerge, Abbey Road Flowers and Gifts, they're temporarily closed to walk-ins, but are doing curbside pickup and free in-town delivery, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., 780-875-2211. And I should point out to every guy listening right now, whether you're married or not, it is Mother's Day this coming Sunday. So maybe get the mothers in your lives some flowers. Just throwing that out there. Here is a very, very, very good reminder. Wander and Wild has teamed up with Let's Walk the Talk. Um, they are selling gear there where if you buy any of it, $10 of it goes to supporting Let's Walk the Talk. That's Paula Burge walking from Saskatoon to Lloydminster for mental health. Grid Athletics, check them out on Instagram or Facebook. They still have a deal going on where if you spend $100, you get $25 back, uh, $25 back uh, in a local gift card of your choosing. Factory Sports, Taylor Holt, Nathan Mullet, give them a call. They, uh, they're ready to help you guys. They're, well, all their summer stuff is out. Factory Sports Bikes on Instagram. If you look that up, they got all these wicked bikes. I was saying uh, last week, Kent Staniforth had, had bought a couple, and he'd been posting that. Um, they just got lots of cool stuff there. Hopefully ball season. I think we're all pulling for ball, some sort of, you know, let's get some things going. And if you need stuff, uh, you need a new back, glove, etc., give the boys a call, 306-825-7678. They'll get you hooked up. Now, here's your factory sports tale of the tape on Mr. Jason Davidson. Originally from Asqueth, Saskatchewan. I hope I didn't torture that. Amateur rodeo, uh, started amateur rodeoing at the age of 14. Uh, started his career as a bullfighter at ni- at age 19. At 19. Ooh. Can't read today, folks. At the age of 19 in 1992, he turned pro. Then a year later, at 93, he had four selections to the Canadian Finals Rodeo, two selections to the Canadian Bull Riders Finals, and four Calgary Stampedes. One alternative, uh, alternate selection to the National Finals Rodeo in 01. Uh, during his time, he represented himself uh, as his own agent in his bullfighting career. And when he retired, he started representing professional bull riders. In 2010, he was hired by Thunder Creek Player Management. So now he is uh, an, uh, a hockey agent as well. Um, so he, his first draft that he was a part of was 2010, where he had Michael Furlan draft the Calgary Flames. A couple other guys he's got, Damon Severinsen uh, from the New Jersey Devils, Ethan Barry, your Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, he's got a very, very cool story, so I'll stop blabbering. Here is Jason Davidson without further ado. Welcome to the Sean Newman Podcast. Today I'm joined by Jason Davidson. So first off, thanks for uh, hopping on with me. I appreciate it. Thanks for reaching out, Sean. Looking forward to this. Yeah, well... 
I should probably give a, a shout out to the Tamers because they're the reason why this happened. They threw out your name and I said, I don't know, what, what did he do? And then they started listing off some of the things you've done. And I'm like, well, yeah, hell, that sounds like a lot of fun. Let's hook it up. And so here we are. It's only a couple weeks later and away we go. So yeah, uh, yeah huge absolutely. shout out to the Tamers. Um, what is, how do I pronounce your hometown? Asquith? Asquith. Asquith. Asquith, Saskatchewan. You and bet. where is and where is that? It's right in the center of the British Empire, according to the sign. Um, but it's actually <laughs> it's 20, 20, 25 miles west of Saskatoon on Highway fourteen. Uh, um, we're all, we're between Bigger and Saskatoon. Okay, okay. And so, did you? Um, I mean, you end up being all over the rodeo trail, PBR. Now you represent NHL players. You got all these different avenues. Life as a kid there, were you then playing hockey and out on the farm, that kind of thing? And that's just kind of where the two loves kind of started? Yeah, just like lots of Western Canadian kids, you know, grow up in small town. Uh, we lived fairly close to the town of Ascot. We're only about two and a half miles out of town. So hockey was obviously a big part of the winners. Um, and ball in the in the summers until I was about 14 years old um, and we were on we lived on a ranch so we were exposed to the western lifestyle and rodeo at the time and I always enjoyed going to the rodeos in Saskatoon and a few of the local rodeos in the in the you know probably 50 mile area or radius of, of Asquith um, so I think it was about 14 dad said you either have to you can play ball or you can rodeo and that's when I chose to 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 go rodeo and started uh, riding steers at the amateur level. And uh, when we graduated from that, um, I tried my hand or luck in the bareback riding event, which I really didn't want to do, but I wanted to stay involved. Um, Mum and dad were not big fans of this bullfighting idea that I had. So it was always something I wanted to do probably from about 16 on. And... Uh, I graduated high school, moved out, um, literally graduated Friday, partied for two days and moved out Monday. <laughs> and uh, that fall, I went to, uh, or sorry, that next spring, I went to uh, actually a bullfighting school. There's clinics like bull riding clinics and and learned from a guy by the name of Ryan Byrne, who's probably the most decorated Canadian uh, of all time. Bullfighter. Bullfighter, yep. Yeah. So my brother went to the bullfighting, or sorry, the bull riding school, and I went to the bullfighting school, and well, uh, the rest is history. I gotta ask, I gotta go back. So at fourteen, you know, I, uh, well, I was saying before we started, Colby Mann, the 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 Mann family, Frank Mann, and them, they mm -hmm. they uh, were a part of that that lifestyle of age fourteen. You go out, you start riding steers, and that kind of thing. I think for a lot of us, we never even glimpse that lifestyle. What is it like going around at 14 from rodeo event to rodeo event? Oh, it was, oh, those are some of the best years of best memories I, I have. Uh, you know, it, it starts at home. We, my brother and I built a, a, a shoot and we always had cattle around. And I don't think, well, I know dad didn't know this was going on whenever he wasn't around. We'd we'd sort off a couple and run them in and, and buck them, you know, they're supposed to be gaining weight. That's how you make money on, on cattle. And we're, and we're running them through the buck and shoot and riding them. So we probably uh, did that for a, a good summer before we kind of got busted and caught on that. And, 
Um, my what dad. Did they, was what did they say when they found? Oh, he wasn't very happy. At, <laughs> uh, but you know, the damage had been done. We already had gotten away with it. Um, um, so he he uh, he let us start rodeo, and we were good friends with the Kelleher family that uh, owned Royal Rodeo at the time. So. They did rodeos in North Battleford, Unity, Bigger. Um, we ended up having a hometown rodeo there in Asquith. Um, so uh, Spiritwood was another one of their Shellbrook. So we kind of made it a family affair to go to those rodeos as a family the first year I rode steers. Um, and then the next year we actually got to travel with some bull riders, which uh, that was an eye-opener. Could you imagine sending your 15-year-old kid with uh, 19, 20-year-old bull riders? Uh they, we would meet them in Saskatoon or wherever and jump in and go for two or three days Friday, get home Sunday and pretend like we were just good kids and <laughs> never went to rodeo dances, never uh, did all that extracurricular stuff that went with the rodeo dances and whatnot. But we grew up real fast. I'll tell you that. No shenanigans had, I bet. None, none whatsoever. <laughs> I thought bull riders, I swear. Uh, make hockey players look pretty soft. I, I mean, to hop on a animal that size. Well, yeah, you know what? They, uh, I, I have the two mixing and gelling quite a bit now at our PBR events that that we produce. Um, just in Edmonton this last fall, I had uh, Chris Russell, Ethan Bear, and yeah. Florida. Florida was in town, and and at the time, Jace Howerlick was playing for them. So. Um, they all come to the event because it was a night off uh, for the Oilers and, and for, for the Panthers. Panthers. Yeah. So, it, you know, they, I think they have a lot of respect for each other, um, which is kind of neat. You know, I think they envy each other. Um, I, I think the bull riders wish they could make the same kind of cake as, as the NHL hockey players. But for some of those guys now, you know, they're making a good living with endorsements. And um, if, if you can be successful in the PBR tour in the U S you know, you can, you can make upwards to about 1.4, 1.5 a, a year. So, uh, and that's million. So yeah, Jeez, it's, that's, it's come that's a long not way. Too bad. Yeah. Like, I mean, back in your day, how much was a, a bull rider making? Oh, well, the PBR wasn't even around Correct. when I was rodeoing, uh, my first few years. So I would guess looking back on what the best guys would be making, maybe a hundred thousand then that's just a few of those guys. You know, I think you could qualify to the Canadian finals rodeo with 12 or $13,000, um, which if you do the math, when you're traveling, paying your own expenses and paying entry fees, $12,000 isn't a lot of money. So most of those guys worked during the week and took off on the weekends, no matter what level you were riding at back in the mid nineties. Just enjoyed it. And so kept doing it. Yeah, yeah, just was a was something I think that gets in your blood, and it's a lifestyle, and you got the same group of traveling partners and buddies. You know, we'd ram six people in the vehicle when we were 17, 18 years old and just go, like not a care in the world, splitting the gas and the hotel room. Well, rarely did we ever get a hotel room. We had an old Chrysler Newport that slept about seven in it comfortably, <laughs> one of those old boats. So, um, yeah, it was good times. Good times. <laughs> you jam seven guys in a the cries oh yeah oh yeah three in the front and four in the back <laughs> oh how times have changed yeah no kidding no kidding now they travel with trucks and campers on the back or uh, vans and stuff like that but no we didn't have that luxury or the money or the resources in the, at, at that time 
So why then bull fighting? Um, honestly, I really like the idea um, of the guaranteed paycheck. Um, uh, you know, I was paying an entry fee at the time. I was, I'd entered a few rodeos in the bull riding, but mostly in the, in the bareback riding. So you're paying an entry fee every weekend. And unless you placed or stayed on, you're not getting a paycheck and uh, hanging around the rodeo group enough. I got to know in the bullfighters that were working. Shane Earhart was one of them, a guy from North Dakota who'd come up here regularly. And, you know, I knew what he was making every weekend and he got to stay at one place. He didn't have to travel to three rodeos all across the sky. Saskatchewan, Alberta, or Manitoba, you know, you're driving sometimes eight hours in between rodeos. So that really, I think it was a business decision more than anything to stay in the, you know, in the industry and, and make a, make could a you, guaranteed paycheck. Could you paint a picture then for, for the listeners on how much, when you say driving eight hours between uh, gigs, how close were those like events? Well, Oh, let me like back in the day, I remember, I remember getting, we, we met, um, Kelly McEwen and, uh, he was killed in a car accident here years ago, but anyway, we traveled with him quite a bit. So he would, he would come from Leoville and we'd meet in Saskatoon. And I know one time, uh, we started in Saskatoon, went to a rodeo in Montana, came back up to Herbert, Saskatchewan, which is just east of, uh, Swift Current. And we rode there and then we went to, uh, there was a real big, uh, rodeo in many berries, Alberta, uh, south of medicine hat. Um, we're there for the Saturday. So it was a Thursday, Friday, Herbert, Saturday, many berries. And then Sunday we had to be back in Vibank, Saskatchewan, which was east of Regina. So, four so we had four. In four days. Yep. Yep. And then back to Saskatoon Sunday night. How was the body doing after that? Well, you don't even think about that. You know, you're young and just yeah. want to be a part of it. And, you know, it's, I guess it's no different than kids trying to, you know, train in the summers and, and be hockey players. Like you, you just work your ass off to, to be better. Um, and that's how we didn't train at all. Probably the farthest from, you know, <laughs> using uh, the term athlete for us back in the day would have been, uh, probably not the right pretty vague description of what we were <laughs> but uh yeah we just that's how you practiced you just went you just kept going you paid your entry fee and you went to another one and in the summertime it was you could often do always three in a weekend and if you got lucky sometimes four what are the what are the kids doing now to train for bull bull riding oh it's completely changed now um completely changed these guys are uh they take it real serious if you take a look at just uh oh like jb mooney who's probably right now you could say is you know one of the best ever he uh he stands on a medicine ball like literally stands on it with his cowboy boots for that's how he trains his balance and and he'll stand on it for an hour and watch a show standing on a medicine ball it doesn't sound like much, but give it a go in cowboy boots. It's ridiculous. But uh, the, the guys that train now, with and you never knew what guys did because there's no such thing as Instagram and stuff back then. Now a lot of these guys are posting that stuff. Um, so I got a, you know, I got a real respect for, always have 
um, because I've grown up in the industry. And when you're tying your hand to 1500 pounds of something that wants no part of you on their back and, and literally has the ability to take you out completely, um, you learn to really respect those guys. And, um, and you see, just like in hockey players, the guys that want it more, some guys want it more than others. And, um, that's evident too. just how people carry themselves. You know, if, if we could pick a captain, we don't pick captains, um, because it's a, it's an individual sport, but you know, there's reasons why Connor McDavid is a captain. You know, if, if you've heard any stories about what kind of guy he is, um, and I, you know, if I had to pick a team of bull riders, I think I could pick a captain because I just, just the leadership qualities and whatnot, but it's hard for, um, it's hard for the public to see that now, you know, they don't really see how hard these guys train. They don't know what they're like behind the scenes, how they care themselves in the dressing room, um, amongst the peers, amongst us as, as executives. Um, but yeah, I have a, a real admiration and respect for the athletes we have now. I think we got one of the best groups of guys here in Canada that we've had here in the last 20 years right now going. Yeah, it's got to be a, a real tight-knit group, I would think. Very, very, yeah. Um, if you were ever to get backed into a corner in a pub somewhere, you'd want that group of guys with you because if you pick to fight with one of them, you're going to fight them all. I guarantee it. But usually there's some pretty handy guys. The tough ones usually come to the front of the pack, and it only takes one guy anyway. <laughs> I've seen it many a time. <clears throat> well, going back to your, your bull fighting then, so you decide, you know, it's going to be a business. You, you're more in it for, the, for um, a, a constant paycheck. Yeah. What, uh, when you go to the, the school, which I assume is like a weekend course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What, uh, what are the, some of the things you learned there and were you surprised? Um, well, I think for, for me, the edge I had was I had what we call livestock sense. I'd grown up around cattle. So I wasn't, I didn't have a fear of cattle. Now you have to have some fear of a buck and bull that's chasing you down. Like if you don't, you're, I just don't think you're playing with a full deck. So, you know, they just <laughs> teach you the basics, um, show you some video, but I'd been, I'd been around it for already, you know, watching it for, a lifetime and really been uh, like dropped right into the lifestyle and, and traveling with it for probably at that time, six years. So um, I was ready to go like, you know, just like a blue healer dog chomping at the bit to go. But uh, uh, yeah, you just, no one can really hold your hand. Do you, remember, do you remember your first event of uh, doing the bullfighting was? After the school? Yeah. You mean? Yeah, yeah, North Battleford. North Battleford, Saskatchewan was my first rodeo. And how, and how did that go? Uh, it went good. Um, got my first real hooking, as we would call it. I remember a bull got me up against the chutes, and, and which are made out of steel. Yeah. And there isn't any give there. And uh, that was the first night, Friday night. Kind of got me under the chin and gave me a little raspberry, and, and uh, it damn sure hurt. And probably the best thing that happened because right then you got to decide, you know, is this really what I want to do? You're saying on, on the first weekend, the first night of you doing that, you get pinned by a bull up against the rail. Yeah. 
Yeah. A bull rider. Well, our job is to protect the bull rider. And, right. And yep. he was thrown in an, in a vulnerable spot. And I just, I had to, I had to get in between there to, to take the bull away from the rider. And, and I got it. Yeah, I would probably, I, I couldn't honestly say I was the first bull out. It was more towards the end of the performance. So at the end of the night, but yeah, it happened. And, uh, you know, I, I was pretty sore ribs and I, I remember the chin thing cause he did, he clipped me under the chin and, uh, you know, I wasn't, I was more of a soup guy for the next two or three days than I was a steak guy, I recall, but it was, it was the best thing that happened because I gained the respect of, uh, of the bull riders immediately. And, um, you know, well, I, I, I always wanted to be the best at whatever I, you know, if I was going to continue it, I wanted to be good at it. So, um, it, it all took off from there. I started my career right there. Um, worked for one year with the amateur rodeo, um, got my professional card in a year and started doing some professional events. Uh, there was a tour called the Wrangler bullfight tour at the time. So okay. we actually, we fought rank, uh, Mexican fighting bulls and, uh, but not like Spain. We don't, it's bloodless bullfights, right? So it's like a organized game of tag, a tag. So, uh, that got my foot in the door to get to some pro rodeos and be seen by the professional bull riders. Um, because at the time Ryan Byrne, you know, was still going and he was the guy in Canada, a guy by the name of Darren Tufton. Raymond Goodman, TJ Baird, like it's not easy to get your foot in the door at those big rodeos. Um, I think it took me about, I started in, uh, 92, 93, I think 97. I got my first Canadian finals rodeo in 1997. And then after that, that's when I started getting some of those bigger rodeos. And then once you got those rodeos, you know, I would leave home in June and not come home till mid August, you know, Wainwright, Pinoca. Calgary Stampede, Innisfail, another big rodeo, um, Strathmore, Morris, Manitoba. So it's when you can get all the big rodeos, you're, you're rodeoing in July, you're rodeoing 25 days out of 30. So it was a good way to make a living. Uh, how many, how many guys in your profession then are at each event? Well, back when I started, it was only one. You only had to have right. one bullfighter. Um, and then the bull riders got together and, and, and I don't blame them for that. It was great for us too, because, uh, it wasn't long into my professional career where they were required to have two bullfighters at every rodeo. Because for example, you get hurt the first bull out, you know, and it can happen. It's a dangerous sport, right? And, uh, who's, who's going to look after the next 15 bull riders that are supposed to get on. So, and I've been to events where I was one of the guys that did get hurt. And, you know, if there wouldn't have been an other guy who's who's there to fill in so um two and and now at the pbrs most pbrs now you have three guys and are you mic'd up then when you're when you're doing that uh some do we do that uh with our monster energy tour events that you can watch yeah. on tsn sean we we have we mic up our one guy um but i'd done a lot of uh stuff like that during the calgary stampede they mic'd me up every day the one year just so they can I, I think they had me on a delay. I sure hope they did because it, was, it would have been definitely, it wouldn't have been PG or would have should have been. Um, but yeah, we do do that. It's, we've had cameras on us, like actually having a camera. Like a GoPro or something. Yeah. Yeah. Before GoPro was, God, a guy should have been thinking back then. Well, we should have, we should have invented the GoPro. Damn. <laughs> 
What, uh, I assume when you get to the Calgary Stampede and you got how many thousands of people watching you and that atmosphere, that must have been electric. Yeah, that, um, yeah, it's like, you know, you, you take a look out at 23,000 people and, uh, you know, you're at the greatest outdoor show on earth. It, it was the first time. Yeah. I'll never forget that. It was like the first time I got selected to go to the Canadian finals rodeo or when I went to the NFR as an alternate, um, in Las Vegas, like those are, those are the moments you'll never forget in your career because those are definitely the highlights. I was fortunate enough, even when I was done fighting bulls with Calgary to go work with them for another you know, probably eight or nine years on the production side of things as the arena director. So it was a lot of fun. It, um, I would not change one single thing about how I grew up and, and, you know, the path I took uh, to get where I'm at today. That's for sure. When you're doing things like uh, fighting Mexican fighting bulls, I assume that is uh for the entertainment of the crowd, was that a lot of fun to do? Um, yeah, it, I, I enjoyed it at the time. Um, I would have been about, uh, so that was 96, I was about 23. So from 23 to 26, and I did, like I kept myself in good shape. I trained. Um, the contest would last a minimum 40 seconds, and then there was a horn blown, and you'd have an option for another 30 seconds. So, um I used to do sprints. I'd sprint for, for 50 seconds um, and then slow down and sprint. Like I really worked on sprints. So I had the endurance to do push that 70 seconds if you had to. So what did they, um, what did they, what did they give you? They give you um, one of those, I can't even think of what the heck it's called. The matador. Cape. Cape. Thank you. No, 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 no. So, how, so just, how, it was just you and the bull. That's right. You, you stand the out there and you nod for him. You have the the clown or the barrel man, what we'd yeah. call him back in the day. The, yeah. That's your only island of safety out there. So if, if you ran to the fence, climbed up the fence, um, or didn't look like you were in any sort of control, um, you obviously you got Mark stock. And we were competing for big money. Um, uh, I believe it paid, well, I don't believe, I remember it paid $918 to win first and 578 to win second. And two hundred and four to win third. This and how many is back guys in the mid nineties? Three. You're guaranteed a paycheck, but I I'm competitive. I'm as competitive as they come. And third, just I didn't. You know, I never wanted to win third. You know, so every time you could win first, that's a good day's work back in nineteen ninety five nine hundred eighteen. And some places was U.S. money. So uh, that even made it. You know, cherry on the, the top. Cherry on top to to buck up and hustle your ass a little bit too you know and, and it's no different in the bull riding today you had to have a good dance partner on the other side like you needed a bull that wanted to chase and um if you went in there wanting the one that wasn't as good well then you probably shouldn't be in this business you know so um it, it was, was great i had three years of it and i really did i i loved every minute of it. it hurt sometimes sean i'm not gonna lie but uh it's a pretty fun way to make it make a living who was the best bull you ever had that danced uh, with you well, I had one, I used to keep notes on all these bulls. There's probably about 30 or 40 fighting bulls came through Canada in those three or four years. Um, I had, I had a bull, uh, his name was Bob cause he had a Bob table or Bob tail. It was knocked, which meant it was cut off. Yeah. And, and him and I hooked up a few times and 
if I didn't win, I was second, but it just, he just, he was just a good draw. Um, but they, uh, the three amigos was the firm that owned all these bulls at the time, which was Ryan Byrne, who was my mentor. Um, he had a bull, uh, his number was 58. They're branded just like the buck and bulls. So you could identify him. And, uh, his name was Kaching, but a bing. And, uh, I had him a couple times where we won and I had him a couple times where I didn't even finish. Like he wiped me out. Uh, he hooked me so hard one time in Edmonton at the Canadian finals rodeo. I got a picture of my shoelaces untied. I'm like, wow. That is something. Uh, it's got me flying through the air and my shoelaces even <laughs> flung out on my Reebok pumps at the time. Uh, but yeah, he, uh, if you stub your toe on him, he'd hurt you. He would. So, um, but it was good. Like talk about mental fitness. Um, when you knew you had him because you'd find out when you got to the rodeo and a lot of times we were the last event. So you have three hours, two and a half hours to think about who you're, squared off against um but it was good you know i always thought i always looked at it if i do my job right here i'm gonna win nine you know i'm gonna win first so uh i did get a couple firsts with him but i got a couple thirds too because i it didn't go very well i think i had him four four five four or five times and i know i got two firsts out of him and two pretty shitty scores out of him too but that was my fault i gotta think after stepping in the ring one-on-one with an animal Anything that comes after that's got to be almost gravy. Like it just, right? To have one of those beasts chasing you around. Well, yeah, it it, it helps you build confidence, I guess. Uh, maybe in the wrong reasons. After um, I was never scared to back down from an altercation. I guess if that's what you're getting at, Sean. But uh, uh, no, actually, you know, I was just uh, thinking. I was thinking actually what I what I actually thought was like you know you you go on to do some big things in life and still are. And, uh, I just figure stepping in the ring with a bull, something I, Oh man, I don't know. There's yeah, some confidence, big right? Just confidence. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. for what you, you know, whatever else you go on, you know, with life to do, I would assume that that have played a big part in it because I mean, not a lot of guys can just hop in the ring and do what you guys do. You know, that's a good point, actually, Sean. So the year I went to that school, oh, there had been nine of us uh, uh, went to that bullfight in school. Two of us uh, ended up uh, having professional careers out of that. Um, uh, another guy by the name of Bob Morrison, I think was around, he lived in the Lloydminster area, for, or North Battleford is where he was raised, sorry. Um, but, you know, like my, my buddy that, uh, Scott Byrne, who had a really great career and as a bullfighter, who's a nephew to Ryan, who mentored me, you know, he puts on a school every year. And that's always the first question I ask, was there any good kids? And, you know, they're not even pumping out one good kid a year anymore. It's about every two or three years we find somebody that, because I want to give that kid a shot. I've got enough events that I don't mind helping that guy because I was that guy once that was just looking for the opportunity to, to prove myself in front of the best bull riders in the world or um at the bigger better events you know i wanted to, i wanted to be a part of the pbr events that were in edmonton and calgary every year that was my goal right it's just like a a young kid in minor hockey in lloydminster they want to play in the national hockey league someday sure being a double a bantam is awesome and then you get to play triple a midget you know you're 
you're there, can you get to the Western League and then go on from there? That was that was no different than how we were. So I like to give those kids a chance if they're, you know, but it's not easy finding them anymore. Well, it's just not, it's just not like a career path that many would think of, I, I would assume, right? No, like it's... probably not. No, if you're not growing up around it, I you don't. I don't know what would bring one guy to think that they should give it a go. You know, I really don't. <laughs> so like you uh, said during your, uh, your career bullfighting, um, you represented yourself. Is that kind of where you start to get the idea of this agent? Like, you know, maybe I should represent uh, some bullfighters or is it uh, bull riders? Yeah, bull riders. Well, yeah, I had a good group of sponsors. Like back in the day, you know, I got to wear Wrangler. I got to be endorsed by Wrangler. I think I started my endorsement deals in 1995. I was the only Canadian athlete on the what was called the Wrangler Bullfight Tour at the time. So they saw an opportunity, and I believe there was only six of us. Um, the late Todd Bogus, um, uh, steer wrestler from Peyton, uh, went to the world finals a number of times. Great guy. He was on Wade Joyle, Rod and Denny Hay. Like Rod Hayes goes down maybe as one of the best saddle bronc riders in Canadian history. And I was included in that group. So, you know, I felt very good about that. I was proud of that accomplishment that Wrangler had come to me and wanted to, to write me a check and wear their clothes, you know. So I just started pitching the idea to other companies and contacts I had about, you know, endorsing their name on, on my shirts and stuff. And it, it became quite a good deal for me over the years and over my career. So when I was hanging it up in 2000 and, uh, I don't even remember 2005, maybe was my last year, 2004. I'd have this relationship with all these sponsors and uh, you know, I just thought it was a shame that all this money's sitting here and I can't, I, I can't get it because <laughs> I'm retired. But how about this family of, of boys from ask with where I grew up, uh, Matthew, Aaron and Nathan Roy, they've all won national champions. Aaron's went on, he's won over a million dollars in the PBR in his career. So I talked every single one of my sponsors into endorsing those boys. So that's where I started was with, with Matt and, and Aaron and Nathan. And then I continued to grab guys like Canadian champion, uh, Tanner Gerlitz, Canadian and Calgary Stampede champion, uh, Chad Bestplug. I uh, worked with Tanner Byrne, uh, Zane Lambert, and I still look after Zane and Aaron. And actually, uh, um, I got a guy working with me now that's managing the uh, the rodeo side of things for the endorsements. I've got a family of uh, saddle bronc riders out of Utah, the Wright family. And to put that in perspective for your listeners, that's like having Connor McDavid, Jonathan Taze, Sid Crosby, and there's eight of them. Like they're the cream of the crop when it comes to Western lifestyle athletes. They They carry the endorsements with the biggest brands uh going yeti stetson hats wrangler um big diesel company out of the u.s called pdi so i handle them as uh still and then tanner burn um is looking after all of our bull riding athletes so we've picked up a, a few few more guys because i just didn't have the time to do it and tanner really wanted to do it and comes from the background where he managed his own career and did a well a 
similar to what I did, did a very good job of it. So I trust them um, with these guys and, and with these companies. Is it safe to say then there was nobody doing it before you, like representing the, 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 the riders or were there guys? No, in Canada, you did it on your own. So yeah, I never even thought of that before, Sean, but no, there would have been nobody doing it. Um, when I started looking after Aaron and those guys, there yeah. would have been an agent. There would not have been an agent looking after Western lifestyle guys in Canada. Um, Ty Murray had an agent back in the day. I know. Um, and then a few of those PBR riders were, were, uh, being represented by agents. So that's, that was another reason why I wanted to get into it is because Aaron, Aaron Roy was doing all the televised events in the U S and that was, that was worth something to somebody. So, absolutely, um, you know, Aaron had some really good years there where, um, in fact, the first year I did it, I didn't, I didn't even charge the guys anything. I just did it for them. And then. I realized how much work it was, you know, managed getting shirts, getting shirts organized, embroidered, making sure the embroidery went in the right spot, um, getting the guys to autograph sessions, um, not physically holding their hand and getting there, but coordinating everything. Yeah. And then the next year I just, I told Matthew, the oldest of the boys, I said, I can't do this for free guys. I, I just can't. And he just said, well, yeah, whatever. He goes, I can't get the money. You know, I wouldn't have a dime if it wasn't for you. So it was a very cordial discussion. And uh, I did some research on commissions and, and whatnot. And that's year two is when I really got serious about the agent business, which would have been about 2006, I guess, 2007. So did you never go and I don't know, I guess I, I uh, should have looked into it, but no schooling. It wasn't like you went to business school to become an agent or anything. Just no. Nobody had ever taken care of the bull riders. And so you start doing it and become very successful at it. Yeah. Just saw an opportunity. And, you know, when you're representing the best names in Canadian bull riding, it's real easy to go to Wrangler or Cinch or whoever, Justin Boots at the time, Boulay Boots. And, and here, this is what I have. It's fun when you got the good guys. Trust me, Sean, it's really fun. It's, it's, it's a lot of work when, you know, I've, I've been approached by a number of, of athletes, rodeo athletes over the years to help them. And I just, you know, I don't even sugarcoat it or lead them down a road that I can't deliver. I just, I go recruit the guys. I go find the guys I know I can make a living um, for and, and, and help. Well, that's kind of where I'm curious as an agent then, because I mean, now you represent a handful of guys in the NHL and some, uh, you got a guy that's coming up in the draft this year. You got all these bull riders. How do you go about attracting prospective clients? Is that like, are you scouting them, going to hockey games, watching, going to uh, rodeo events and watching? Like, are you taking a huge bunch of your time going around to events, kind of scouting a guy and then going, you know what? I should approach this guy. I think there's something there. Um. Well, the bull riding part, it's easy. If they're, if they're, if they're riding at the events I'm producing, um, namely the monster energy tour events, they're riding at the best, the highest level in Canada. So if they can get there, then they've already got my attention. And then if they can get there and win and, uh, 
you know, I look for qualities, you know, how they carry themselves. Can they, you know, can I get these guys in front of a microphone? Would they embarrass, you know, themselves or whoever they're endorsing? So, you know, I, I just, I guess you can say I'm an evaluator of talent. Like I'm looking for talent on that side of the fence. And then in the, in the, your hockey arena, um, in the past 10 years, it's really about building a network, um, of people you trust, you know, um, and I think when you do a real good job for your clients, then you, you know, you'll get a, you'll get a call from somebody saying, Hey, you should give this kid a call. Or I've had some families call and just say, you know what, you come highly recommended from this player who's from the same community or something, you know, um, a lot of my best, you know, a lot of my clients are, there's a story behind how I've got them or found them or met them. And I like that. And I think it's, you know, this, I guess if you could say the stars lined up or however you want to put it, but it was almost like, uh, it was, we were supposed to work together. Um, so I, I just look for little signs like that. Now, when the light it's getting lit up red four times a period by a player, that's a pretty easy sign to see that he's going to be, you know, he's got something there, but, um, hockey's very, very competitive. Um, very competitive. The bull riding sign, I, th I think um, I can say if, if I really wanted somebody, I could go get them um, because there isn't a lot of guys doing it. Um, and we've got the, you know, I've got a Rolodex of contacts that I know nobody else has in that industry. And hockey, well, I when I stepped into that world, it was totally the other way around. So it was a challenge, a huge challenge for me, which I, you know, I like that, and uh, I just worked worked really hard to establish that business. Um, my first client was Michael Furland, um, which was a, a bit Hungry of a test. Flames. Yeah, yeah, but you know, nobody. He was a walk on on Kelly McCrimmon's Brandon Weekings in 2010 when they hosted a Memorial Cup, and that for me right then um, said something okay, this kid was never drafted to the Western Hockey League. They, you know, somebody found him somewhere. Al McPherson would have been the guy that would have found him. He was Kelly's right-hand man at the time. And I remember watching him here in Saskatoon. Um, I hadn't got a client yet. I was just newly in the business. And uh, he scored three goals on the fourth line. He was playing with Mark Stone. Mark Stone was a fourth liner with Furland that year. Um, in uh, Oh, who the heck else? It doesn't matter. Anyway, he scored three goals that night as a fourth liner. And uh, Duncan Siemens was projected to be a first rounder that year. Uh, and he was to the Colorado Avalanche. Tough kid. Played with some real grit and bite to his game. And uh, Mike put the run on him that night and and pretty much schooled that, that guy for the rest of his WHL career. So that that's kind of what... Um, jumped at me right away like this kid plays the game hard he can score he had some hands he hit hard he was probably about 20 pounds overweight at the time because he had no idea about fitness working out but Kelly McCrimmon had saw something in him and I saw something I liked and I remember uh I called and called I had I got the contact list to every GM from from my senior partners and I had two teams that wanted to talk about Michael Furland. It was the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Calgary Flames. That was it. And he went in the fifth round to uh, Calgary. And ironically, I've, I've talked to Garth Malarchuk many times about this. He's a longtime scout for the Toronto Maple Leafs. He said, 
we traded our pick. He was the guy we had marked down. He would have been a Toronto Maple Leaf, but uh, he ended up being a Calgary Flame and uh, been a good career for him. And it was a great start for me to get to know a good hockey guy like Kelly McCrimmon, who, uh, who was, uh, um, I can't say always easy to work with, but um, we always had Michael Furlan's uh, best interests at heart on, on most of the decisions we made together for him. So it was just a great experience and having a guy that Mike that trusted me right off the bat. I, I you know, I, um, cause he could have went well in his 19 year old year, he had plenty of other agents calling trying to, to poach him. So that's the one thing about this business. I don't like, um, it's pretty greasy that way. Uh, really? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's very greasy that way. So, so if you get a, if you get a guy who's going to make something of himself, you got people trying to call to try and pull him away all the time. Really? All the time. Yeah. All the time. So you build that relationship with the parents first and then, you know, we're recruiting recruiting kids now um, at 13 years old. 13 like, years old? 13, which is crazy because they might not – they may never play pro. That's how you get paid. And uh, if they do, it might not be for seven years. So you got seven years of time, money, and effort put into a client before you even know if he's going to turn out to be a pro. Well, and think of a 13-year-old kid. I mean, geez, I mean, you're seeing a lot of them. At 13, I mean, there's standouts. I mean, everybody can agree to that. There are standouts. But a standout at 13, I mean, does that always translate to a standout at 18, 19? Never. No, no, it doesn't. Um, you uh, Every year, that competition gets a little stiffer for those guys. And that's where, you know, you want to – the more time you can spend around your guys and see what kind of – like what they're made of, so to speak, or how big a heart these guys really have. Um, you know, like local kid you guys have there, Chase Waters. Yeah. Like, he was I just... always tell Scott. I always tell Scott he's going to make it. That kid has got, you know, it, it hasn't. Well, I told his, I've told his dad many times. In fact, his dad texted me when we lost Colby Cave here um, on the eleventh, which Colby was a client of mine, and. You know, Colby had to work for every single thing he got. But if you got to know Colby, and I think a lot of people feel they they do know him now after the outpouring of support and the stories and the and the um, stuff, the kind words said about Colby, that's just the kind of guy he was, and that's why he figured out he got to be a pro. He was an assistant captain in Providence in year two of his entry level deal. Never drafted. He 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 was a unsigned free agent never been drafted and the Boston Bruins took a chance on him um you know he was going to be a sought after player in July 1st here he'd have been an unrestricted free agent and he was exactly the kind of guy that teams wanted and uh, I see the same things in in Chase he's a leader um you know teams can say what they want about um certain styles of his game right now but Chase Waters will figure out a way to be a pro. So I've got all the time in the world for Chase Waters because I know he's going to he's gonna make it. He will make it. Yeah, we actually just had Chase on the podcast. Well, his episode comes out tomorrow. Um, him and, him and um, Bryce Kindop was on and yep. uh, Zane Franklin, all three boys from around this area that are all captains yep. in the dub, right? All good kids. Yep. 
Zane's one of our clients too. Oh, is he? Yeah. He, he could go yeah. on. If hockey isn't his thing, he could be a stand-up comedian for sure. <laughs> He's got personality for sure. He does. <laughs> he I, you does. know, it's ironic. I rodeoed, I rodeoed with, with Zane's dad. Really? Quinn, Quinn rode bulls when I was fighting bulls. Yeah. Yeah. We, we put a few miles on together, Quinn and I, and, and cross paths hundreds of times over the years. Uh, what a small world it is. Exactly. Those um, are the little things I always look for. And Scott Scott Waters was my line mate in uh, and stall mate in uh, in Lloydminster for the, the Kings. Yeah, Chase used to come into the room when he was like three, probably. Yeah. Would it be? Yeah, he'd be about three. It'd be two thousand two, three. Yeah, he'd be about three years old, carrying a mini stick and wanting to shoot something around a tape ball or whatever. Just. We just needed a minute so we could have our beer after Scott and I. We had to keep him <laughs> occupied for a few minutes. Uh, the not much has changed in the senior world. I won't lie. Um, I bet. I, I got like I was saying. I got three kids, and now after the senior game is done, I get shoveled two of them, and they run around the room, hacking and whacking everybody, searching for those tape balls. And all you want is your cold beverage or a couple of cold bevies. Um, what years did you play Kings and Lloyd? Um, Jesus, what were they? Um, went to the NFR in 01, married in 02. So it'd be 03, 04, I think, somewhere in there. Not so the years be- they won Allen Cups, in between, in between the Allen Cups. In between the yeah. Allen Cups. Yeah, it must have been bad luck, I guess. <laughs> I actually, uh, Stanny, Kent Staniford, just uh, – Gave me a jersey this week for the podcast studio. Not not this wall. This is oh the autographed wall. Kings jersey. I yeah, saw. Him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never got ass. to. I wish I could have played for Stanny with him. Never. I don't want to play against that guy. But uh, um, Stanny's a big supporter of the PBR. Um, yeah, he, he's always. I'm always dropping off one of my 3D bull riding caps for him. I'll have to make sure you get one too, Sean. I'd appreciate but, that. Uh, I I wish I could have played. Uh, for Stanny or with him he, he sounded like he's a bit of a legend in those parts I hear he is an absolute legend yes yeah, yeah I, I, I never got I never got to play for him when I, when I was playing junior I think he was coaching uh, the bandits in town and I left town for about seven years uh, kind of basically all through his career and never came yeah. back and by the time I was back he was pretty much done I think well, I had one of those. I played a lot of hockey with Jeff Rosner over the years. Like he was uh, one of our imports out at Asquith, and and uh, and then in Lloydminster, he was there one year when I was there as well. So he's kind of got that same reputation as Danny, just uh, somebody you really don't want to be lining up across from if you can help it. <laughs> Does Asquith have senior hockey still? Not anymore. Um, no, it kind of. I would say the last good years of senior hockey in, in Asquith would have been like in the late nineties. Um, but you know, we had, well, the last provincial title, Ralph Clausen played for the blues and the Colorado Rockies. We had him, Jerome Engle played with the North stars. Those were just two of the guys that were on the team that year. Um, but yeah, we always had good players out there. Lindsay Carson, um, lots of ex pros. Cause it was, you know, when those guys come back and, We'd fill the rink. In fact, the Asquith Canadians, uh, they were the Hardy Cup champions for a couple of years. That was the Western Canadian Championship for yep. senior yep. hockey. So that would have been like 78, 79. 
um, in those years. Uh, so that was a big part of growing up, going and watching, you know, when I was six, seven years old, watching the, the ask with Canadians play. And my uncle was always involved with the executive and, but, um, well, small town hockey back, like you, you didn't have to, every town had all the teams, you know, your arrivals were either south of you 20 minutes or up the road 15 miles or down the other road. You know, it was, those were some of the greatest, best years of your life playing your neighbor towns and, you know, and trying to literally beat them to whatever, you know, an inch of their life in the corners or wherever. Well, the hate, like it the was, hate that it grows. Was yeah, absolutely. The hate that grows when you're playing your rival that's that close. Well, heck, the last couple of years we've played Metal Lake. Metal Lake has been in our league now for two years. We've met them both years in the playoffs and the semifinals. And uh, this year was game five. We beat them. And the year before was a best of seven instead of a best of five. And it went to game six, triple overtime to beat them. And that's oh just gosh. an absolute war, man. But fun. You go up to Meadow Lake and they got like, I don't know, a They thousand still fill the rink up. Oh, yeah. yeah. They used to too when we were there. When we yeah. used to go up there with Border Kings, Old Lake was in one year and they didn't draw worth the shit but i always enjoyed that christmas tournament that the border kings hosted um over uh, between christmas and new year's um uh, that was always a fun time too so good group of guys we had awesome um and really enjoyed it when i played well you were fortunate you got to even though you didn't win with the kings you got uh the heyday of those groups right like i mean the merv would more yeah. still have been playing then one year i think more more in i don't know if it was a game or what but he broke his wrist you know more he's the fastest guy on the ice and i don't know if he forgot to stop or <laughs> what happened but he broke his wrist one year so i i remember right we we only got him uh it was early in the season too so we didn't get him back till playoffs but yeah merv was captain uh ray nielsen on the blue line tyler yeah, razor yeah yeah uh jason clegg was in that trevor logan you know i still got a relationship with with all those guys, you know, I see Jason in the rink lots, uh, uh, Tyler. I still talk to Tyler a lot. Uh, Corey down whenever we see each other, Scott hood calls me when he, he's up in Bonneville. So he actually called me on a kid. He thought was pretty good this year. Th like that's that networking, you know, Yeah, you, absolutely. Those, those guys will reach out to you. So yeah, it was good times. Ryan rivet, Jordy Dugan. Like I remember all the guys in the team, you know, it was, we had a lot of fun. It's too bad you hadn't won. You could have come. We had uh, Hockey Day in Hillmont this year. Hockey Day in Saskatchewan in Hillmont. And uh, yeah. we had Wade, Wade Redden back out. And Marty McSorley came for that weekend. And we played, a, we played a fun little Wade and Friends game. And we had a bunch of those guys out. Well, guys who'd won the two championships. Yeah. And a bunch of guys from Hillmont as well. It was a blast. Like, that was a fun night. But all the names you're talking about were there. Yeah. Well, you got to – I noticed I, I follow your – team on twitter you guys got a good room and whatnot there in Hillman. what a facility too we've done the wade red and pbr there yeah that's right two or three years we did it you know so it's good you guys fill the rink up on the senior night and for the games um you know uh i would say once you hit the second round of playoffs she's a pack barn and it's a lot yeah. of fun like when metal lake was coming to town like not even standing room only. It was like four rows of standing room only. But uh, it, it just, you know, senior hockey in general is, um, 
it's, there's just almost too many options now. You know, you, yeah. you talk to the older generations and they talk about like when I was, when I had Shep on here, he talked about back in the day, the border Kings, you'd show up like an hour and a half early to a border King game to get a seat. Cause if you didn't, you weren't getting a seat. And I actually wow. uh, had a guy on, who was that? Who said they packed it to the rafters. I forget who that was. And on the civic center, they had people sitting in the rafters because that's how full it was. <laughs> right. Like yeah. there was nowhere to sit. So they, and, and, Times have just changed. I mean, you, you know firsthand, you've got a, a, a player playing anywhere for any team almost, as long as it's what, junior A and above, and you can flick their game on the internet and, and watch, right? You don't have to leave the comfort yeah. of your own home. Yeah. And so, yeah, you know, which is amazing, and everybody wants that. But uh, when it comes to something like senior hockey, which is a pastime of Sask, like anywhere in Saskatchewan, it's, you have these same conversations with people because it was a lot of fun. If you play it or play it, it's uh, some of the funnest hockey you'll ever play in the memories and the groups of guys you get around in the dressing room and all of it is awesome. But it's just slowly, you can just see it's slowly disappearing in a lot of places and it's a lot of effort to keep it um, relevant uh, when you got the ability to not go anywhere and watch good hockey or, you know, now speaking of Lloyd, like Lloyd's got all these elite teams, which is awesome, right? And so you got this no really senior good, team anymore, though. But no, no senior, senior team. No. Well, you lost a good core. You know, when you look, you talk about Merv and and Ray and Ty, like when those guys, that was look at the that team of we didn't. You know what I admired the most? Nobody got paid. You you never had to. You know, we all chipped in for the beer, but the bus was always looked after, so we always got to travel on a bus. But no one got paid to play. You know, yeah. we bought our own sticks, um, but it was just a good atmosphere. And, you know, we were up against some big payrolls there that year. That Minnesticlin team was had a huge payroll. Um, you know, Meadow would have paid a couple guys to come in and play there, but we never paid anybody. Um, you just had a ton of talent. But, you know, and those guys played together for a lot of years, a lot right? Of years. You know, Rob Quist, like Quisty would just come for the playoffs. Usually he was getting to that point in his career where he wasn't – there was no training camp for him or preseason or anything. He was just, he just stepped right into provincial game. Number one, <laughs> I remember. Uh, so um, it is, it's too bad. I, I know like for Asquith, when we started moving away. That's when the senior, like if, you know, us veteran guys or older community guys, we're the ones that kind of, you know, run the ship and we brought the young guys out, you know, kids graduating from midget, um, or triple a hockey. We had some, you know, some kids that played some pretty good hockey out of Asquith. And when they come home, you know, if there was a team, but once all of us older guys had kind of quit playing or moved away, which I did, then that just, there's no uh, core group or no leadership. And, you know, we, we did everything. We did all our own fundraising and all that. And I think people are just, they don't want to do that anymore, unfortunately. And like you said, Sean, like there's just other options to watch stuff on TV. Like back when we were playing senior hockey, there was two channels on TV. There's no Netflix. There's no Xbox and shit. We had the Atari and the Intellivision, right? Yeah, you were looking and for a reason to go out. Graphics to stay. You were looking for a reason to go out and socialize, yeah. right? Like, you, yeah. you, and yeah, it wasn't. You, it was a cheap way to go to a game, sit down and have a BS, watch some decent hockey, probably a few scraps in that, right? But see, yeah, some of the yeah. best talented local hockey players sitting there. And, uh, you, you know, you raise a couple good points. Like, I mean, 
A, you got to have, it doesn't matter what team you are. You got to have a core there, a nucleus that uh, allows a team to grow, right? Because uh, if you have the right group of guys, it'll track, attract good guys and keep the riffraff yep. out, which then breeds a healthy team and allows you to kind of grow, yep. right? Because, I mean, yeah, there's absolutely. very few teams that just get put together and then the next day they're winning, right? Like, especially yep. in small town yep. Sask hockey. Um, yeah. Ah, but it is hard, really, really hard, um, to pass down the torch when, as every year that goes by, you just said it, right? Like when I came back from college, I'm not positive Netflix was even (laughs) going yet. Like that's, you know, like, and now it's like, you know, do I want to go anywhere? Do I just want to Netflix and chill for the night? You're right. Like, yeah, just binge watch Tiger King, you know? Like, <laughs> what did who you think of Tiger? What did you think of Tiger King? I think Carol Baskin's a bitch. I'm with <laughs> I'm with Joe Exotic. She's a bad woman. But uh yeah, I nothing surprised. What surprised me the most is actually it doesn't, because that producer had he knew he had something and all the footage they had. It's amazing the footage they had. And wow, if they, if he wouldn't have burnt down his own studio, it'd have been nice to see exactly what he had in there for footage too. But yeah, it was quite a show. Um, we, we did it in, uh, I think we did it in two sittings. So that's seven episodes in two sittings. Like you couldn't stop watching it. Well, the first like four episodes you're watching, you're like, this is the most bizarre thing I've ever seen yeah. in my entire life. I did not realize there was a world of that many tigers just sitting in a zoo in Florida. Like it's right. not to mention all the other things going on. Right. Like, I mean, there's yeah, a lot of yeah. stuff going on. The other one, have you been watching uh, the last dance with uh, about the bulls? No, but I'm going to, uh, I heard it's unbelievable. So I want to get my boys to watch that. I, it, I was a huge Michael Jordan fan growing up. Um, not a basketball fan, just a Michael Jordan fan, you know? Um, so I, I've underst- I understand it's really good. And my neighbor said, make sure you let your boys watch it with you because it'll be inspiring for them. Well, you, you watch Tiger King and you're like, it's crazy the amount of footage they have, right? Well, this, uh, the last championship, the Bulls won. They let a camera go everywhere with them. Almost kind of like what they're doing now with all of professional sports, right? Where there's right. always cameras and everything. It's almost yeah. ahead of its time. And then that year, like... I just, you know, I was young when that, when they were winning then I only would have been like 13, 14, somewhere in there. So I remember bits and pieces, but I go back to two and four, right? Like you didn't have enough channels to watch all that sports center. Wasn't a thing. So you didn't get like the full story. And now watching it is like, Oh, this is unbelievable. Yeah. I'm saving that one for a rainy day or a Sunday. And I'm just gonna, how many episodes do they plan on pumping out for that? So I think there is 10 episodes every Monday in Canada. They release two of them. And every Sunday in the States, they release two of them, if I'm correct. So there'll be four as of tomorrow then? That's correct. Okay. Yeah, I'll definitely tune in. Oh, it's... This is a really side note that we've gone down, but it is... That is a (laughs) fantastic... If there's two things I'm going to remember COVID-19 for, I mean, there'll be several. But Tiger King comes up with everyone. Everybody talks about Tiger King. Yeah. And Carol Baskin. Yeah. And yeah. now Michael Carol Jordan. Baskin. Michael Jordan. Yeah. Carol Baskin did it, right? Well, we should have absolutely hundred percent. There's no question. 
we should evolve about Mark. Take a look at the stock price of uh, uh, Netflix in the last five months. It's yeah, probably gone up. Been, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wish I could have remembered that about COVID, where I doubled my money on Netflix. But no, I'm just still paying the eleven dollars a month like everybody else, I guess. So. Well, let's go back to you. I mean, how? See, so you're you're the agent for the roadie or the bull riders side of it. Uh, Thunder Creek player management, they approach you, I assume then. Yep. Yep. Uh, Brad Devine and Jeff Helperl actually works with Thunder Creek player management. He's a, he's a Wahlberg boy, I believe. Um, and, uh, Brad was a big fan of the Western lifestyle stuff. He had seen all the press Aaron Roy was getting. And sometimes my name was attached to it. Um, and I didn't know Brad at all at the time. And, uh, just a, tremendous human being. I wish I, I wish I really wish I could have got to know him about 10 years earlier. Um, he might not appreciated what I was doing 10 years earlier. So probably best it worked out the way it did, but, um, learn a lot from that guy. You know, you asked me about mentors and, and stuff and I got to give, I got to give Brad most of the credit. Um, he's a master negotiator and the way he would out muscle and outwork other guys to recruit kids. Um, you know, and the the respect that he's, you know, the relationships I have with GMs and assistant GMs, the doors that have opened because, you know, Brad's endorsing Jason Davidson now. So, you, you know, you know, um, like for, I remember the first time I got to talk to when Ron Hextall called me on a player, you know, there's a guy I used to just idolize. I was always a Philly fan and loved the way he played. You know, he was just a, you know, you never know what it was a circus some nights when he was on the ice. But, you know, I remember being Ron Hextall on the outdoor rink. You know, that's who I was playing with if I was, you know, playing that. Now I'm talking to him about, you know, Blair Jones and, and getting a hockey contract done with him. Um, but that was, that's kind of what uh, Brad Devine did for, for me is open those doors and um, trusted that I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't let him down. What, uh, you're saying mentor, what, what was some of the things that he taught you? Like specifically going into a different world of the, of hockey in general, right? Coming from where you had been, uh, I assume that, uh, it, although it translates, you're doing a similar thing. It is a completely different world once you're into, uh, the hockey NHL side of things. Uh, some things the same, I think from one, but and totally different as well. Um, he, just like Ryan Byrne was in the bullfighting gig, Brad didn't just hold my hand either. He, he wanted me to figure some shit out. He set me up with the right calls to start with, I think with certain management groups in the national league that he's had relationships with for 30 years, guys he's grown up with in the business. And, and now I get it. It is a small world and the relationships that I've built in the last 10 years, you know, like, you know, we talk about how our kids are doing with each other, with some of these uh, executives on teams and stuff, but he was always there. If I fell down to, you know, maybe brush me off a little bit and then give me a good cussing about how I screwed something up. And so I learned right away. I didn't want those cussings. So you make sure you know your shit right off the bat when you're, before you, you go into a call, you're prepared. Um, that's the number one thing I've learned for him. He said, you got to know your stuff. You got to be prepared. And, 
you know, it's a negotiation. You've got something they want and uh, you got to maximize and use all the leverage you have. And sometimes you don't have a bunch of leverage in the negotiation, you know. Uh, <clears throat> players can't be unrestricted free agents every year. You've got to work to get a player to that step at us where you know then you can sit back and and take calls from several teams but you know when you're coming off an entry-level contract uh, you don't have a ton of you know when a player has only played seven or ten NHL games you don't have a ton of leverage so you better figure out how you're going to maximize that opportunity with with the guy on the end of the the other end of the phone to get your client paid because you know that's that's what you build your reputation on and uh you know he uh He's done well over the years and very well-respected guy. So I want to make sure I leave that legacy in the same, uh, you know, in the same manner as what he's handed it to me in. And, you know, when I'm looking, we've got guys working underneath us now that are watching lots more of these young guys. So I'm, uh, I'm mostly just looking after our pro guys and, and uh, American league guys right now. I've still got a few guys in the Western league that I, that I uh, look after, but uh, it's, it's, it's a lot to manage. You know, when you get 20 some guys that are playing pro hockey right now, it's not easy to be chasing three 15 year olds, four 16 year olds, seven or eight every year. You know, that's a lot of clients. And then you can't, you just can't service them. And um, I'm not into hiring recruiters and I never, ever believed in that um, because you know, if, if I come sit across from you, Sean, and, and want to represent your kid, if I send somebody that isn't even an agent, I hope you see through that. And, you know, we'll, you know, you build a relationship with this guy. And then as soon as he's 19 drafted and going to go play pro or, uh, you know, when he's 20, you know, I should be the one sitting in front of you selling my product um, because I'm the one that's going to be looking after your son. And that's what I've, always try to sell to to potential clients and the parents that I'm going to be the one looking after your son from when he's 15 till he's hopefully 35 and play a long professional career. You remember who the first GM you had to talk to in the NHL was? Like Ron Hextall. Uh, uh, sorry, about a... Uh, no, Jay was... Feaster. Jay Feaster would have been with Furlan's, uh, on Michael Furlan. Was and Jay little... came from, and Jay came from. Uh, he just won a cup in Tampa not too many years before that. He, right. They beat, they beat Calgary. Him. Calgary. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Flames fans don't. They don't like that that cup. They yeah. they believe they should have won. Me being yeah. a diehard Oiler fan, I mean, we've all taken our lumps. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, it would have been Jay, and then Ron Hextall. I think would have been. Uh, the next guy. Ron was always good about returning calls, but that was because of Brad for sure. You know, I just, I always mentioned Brad's name and I got a call back, but that wasn't always the case. You didn't always get calls back uh, when nobody, you know, nobody knew who I was. They didn't give a shit who I was kind of an old boys club in that industry. And um, you got to earn your way. There's no question. You got to earn it. Have you started earning it now then you think? Yeah, I, th I think you earn it with your client right with with the guys you have as players and uh, uh um i was just you know uh, this last couple of weeks it's been a tough couple of weeks with with colby's passing but um you know i built a really good relationship with the boston bruins over colby cave and i think when you got quality kids like that 
you know, they want to talk to you. I've had several conversations with GMs that didn't go so damn good because, you know, um, your, your client isn't, you know, he didn't come into camp the shape he should have yeah. been, or he isn't figuring out how to be a pro and he's screwing around off ice. Like that, that never bodes for a good conversation. Like they're, they're pissed. They, they've invested money in your guy to, to be a professional hockey player and play at the highest level. So if they're not, it's not always a good conversation. So, um, they've become an extension you know, of you represent is what you're talking about is, is yeah. you're yeah. choosing people that if they, <laughs> well, they're going out into camps and around everywhere. And if they show up and it doesn't go well, then it shows up on you because you're the one representing them. I never really thought about it that way before. Oh yeah. And you, uh, sometimes those GMs will let you know it too. They will. Um, but I, I always, you know, to be a professional athlete, you need to be a professional person first. So that's what I try to drill into these kids at a young age. You know, you've got to lead in the dressing room. You got to, you know, learn that stuff now because you're going to need to have that when you walk into the, into, you know, into the American league. Cause I think if you can play in the American league, if you can play at the pace today in the American league, you're going to get a shot. You know, if the game has changed drastically, even in 10 years, you know, I've, I've had clients that would have been, you know, big, strong, tough D men that would have been drafted in the fourth, fifth round that now can't even get an American hockey league deal anymore because they just, they just don't have the feet. They don't have the jets for it, but they play the game hard the way, you know, back in the day, you know, there were some big miserable mean defensemen on the ice that you didn't want to go in the corner and you didn't go guys just didn't do it which allowed those guys that were a little slower to get the puck and make that first pass well it's a different game now so uh yeah you uh i really try to prepare my guys to be professionals um so they can if they can play in the american league i i've you know i i've got all the confidence in them that they can play colby cave was a testament to that he he did it for two teams you mentioned colby cave and I assume you've probably talked about this subject an awful lot over the, you know, since his passing, but I guess, you know, I'm a diehard Oilers fan. So I got to watch a little bit of him and uh, him being from North Battleford, you hear more and more of the stories about him now. Uh, but man, it was, I mean, just absolutely shocking to see a guy of his age and uh, just, you know, he's not the guy sitting on the couch eating donuts, no. not doing anything. Right. Like for him to go, uh, it's just heartbreaking, I guess. Well, uh, it's, it, it makes no sense. And, uh, you know, um, I talked to the NHL PA's doc, Dr. John Rizzo's following the surgery, um, because everybody thought it was a brain bleed at the start, but it wasn't the MRI and Barry showed fluid, which they assumed was bleeding on the brain, but it was actually fluid that the cyst had, had blocked from flowing through Colby's brain. So it was a colloid cyst that, that was the major cause and, and eventually what killed Colby. So, um, yeah, it just made, it makes no sense when, when I, I, you know, Colby was, as professional as they come he was a true professional person and athlete like what went into his body he took uh he took a lot of pride in his diet and his training and you know i think after they wanted him to come into training camp after year 
year one and, and Don Sweeney put him on a pedestal as an American league guy coming into Maine camp, put him on a pedestal and said, you know what, this is what we asked of Colby cave. And he came back. Now he only played, played a couple games that year at the end of the year, but still, you know, he made an impression on management. Um, and I'll, I'll never forget when they put him on waivers. I was in the Toronto airport actually on a five, five game, five day run where I was going to catch him in Providence uh, on about day three. And uh, Don Sweeney said, we're like, we're, we're going to try and sneak him through here. We really, we really hope we don't lose him. And they were disappointed. They lost him. And, Edmonton picked him up and um, I ended up getting I was lucky my last game was actually on Sunday in Edmonton on my on that trip so I ended up running into him anyway but it was a great opportunity for him to you know get in a lineup and um, you know make an impact and well here's what he meant to the Oilers Connor McDavid yesterday stopped in at at his mom and dad's place in North Battleford unannounced just drove over to give them, uh, you know, wish condolences. So that's that's the kind of effect uh, Colby Cave had on that group. Yeah. Ah, don't have the words for it. It's just a, it's a no, sad, it's tough. It's a it's yeah. a sad day when something like that happens and nobody can really you know. Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, we were just coming off the two year anniversary of the Humboldt uh, crash. So it was uh, It's you know. Um, I was Scott Thomas lost his son in that. And, you know, Scott reached out to me about four days later and just said, you know what, um, if, if they want to talk, you know, I'm here. Like it's, yeah, it's, yeah. You hug your, hug your kids tight. You know, it was a, it was a real difficult week for a lot of families, um, including ours. I assume with, uh, your job, you were gone an awful lot having guys all over the place. Would I be wrong in, in thinking that? Yeah, I travel quite a bit. This is, yeah, um, like my, my May is real busy with PBRs. June, I'll work playoff hockey in, uh, depending on who's still playing. July, we do the odd event. August is my month off, kind of, but you still have U18s in Calgary, World Junior stuff. Um, September, we kind of pick back up with PBRs. October, finishing up uh, some PBR stuff. I try to get out in November to see all my pro guys, my NHL guys once, um, either on the road or at home, wherever I can get a dinner in with them. Um, December is is busy with the National Finals Rodeo with my Wright family. January, I'm back on the road trying to see the rest of my players. And then, you know, my own kids hockey, um, WHL, uh, we have a suite here in Saskatoon. So we try to host the families when they're, you know, if they're not a Saskatoon Blades family, obviously when Lethbridge or PAs in town, we, 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 so a lot of hockey games, a lot of airplanes, a lot of airport lounges, um, pretty busy. This is the longest I think I've been at home. This is 40 some days here now that I've been, haven't traveled anywhere. My dog's actually starting to like me more than my wife, I think. I really noticed that here this last couple of days. And that's, that definitely was not the case for the last year and a half of having this dog. Well, you're talking but, like 97% of us, right? Like nobody's, you know, and um, 
when this whole thing started and, and you know, and everything starts getting closed down, it was probably like a two week adjustment for my family. Cause you just, you're not, even though I'm not on the road at all, like you, uh, you know, I'm home every night most of the time. And, uh, two weeks though of going literally nowhere is, uh, well, it took a trying. two week adjustment. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, and then trying is a very good word. And then all of a sudden you just kind of find, fall into like a little new routine. Yeah. Find a groove, man. Yeah. And, and it's been great ever since. It's like changing line mates. You know, you got to find the chemistry, you know, you just, it's a little bit of a change up and you gotta, you gotta go with it. Like, um, we were in Lethbridge. We had our first, uh, or sorry, our second monster energy tour, our, one of our TSN events in Lethbridge. We sold out the NMAX center March 6th. And I'd have to look back. It was March 6th and 7th. So we're coming out of Lethbridge with the sellout. We're rolling into Regina the next weekend for the 13th. We are set up. We're advertising tickets. Uh, tickets were selling great. Um, uh, I see reports every morning, um, 14 days out on all of our events. So we're trending right where we were wanting to be. You know, we're looking at having 3,500 to 4,000 people in the Brant Center. Um, and then this news hits kind of, I think it was about Tuesday. You know, this COVID thing is, you know, it's real. Wednesday, well, Wednesday, we sold 15 tickets. You know, that's how much the news had affected. We sold out Lethbridge and uh, rolling into Regina to the Brant Center. And we were on pace to do 3,500, 4,000 people. And then come Wednesday, when the news really hit, when the media got a hold of it, we sold 15 tickets on the Wednesday, which we should be selling about three, 400. So we ended up, uh, Scott Moe, Premier Moe didn't, I think it would have been uh, the 16th, Monday the 16th is when he was putting uh, the ban on gatherings over 50 people, but we we did what we thought was the right thing and we, we pulled the pin Friday at about 4.40 p.m., um, which was, you know, it was like, do we really do this? Like, you know, we didn't, and it wasn't an easy decision. Um, the PBR app, actually was in in the u.s was in in atlanta georgia that weekend and they they played to an empty house well the nba walked out on that tuesday night so that's right so um and the pbr actually just did an event in guthrie oklahoma made for tv only we're the first sporting group to do an event just they awarded the champion today really yeah yeah at the highest level but our athletes can't because it's still non-essential travel they can't we would have had three canadians that could have been riding there. So until they lift some travel restrictions, we, we can't do anything. And we, we're looking at doing the same thing here in Canada. We might just, uh, um, using an exhibition arena here in Saskatoon and set up what we would have for TV. That would be in Sastel center or the NMAX center or whatever. We'll just make it look and ready to go and, and, and do some, uh, do some events with no fans to, to deliver our TV obligation for our, our national television sponsors. Yeah. You got to get creative cause you don't like, I assume that has to go on then at some point, somehow. I am, uh, I've been relaying what the PBR has been doing to the NHLPA because they're in the same boat. Like this is, uh, this is my livelihood PBR bull riding and national hockey league and well hockey in general. You know, um, so if, you know, here, here's a concern of mine. If, if, 
if they're not going to allow fans, let's say they're talking about, they need a cure. They want to have a cure for COVID before they start filling buildings. Okay. Well, yeah, the NHL might be able to, to survive for a year or so with no fans. Uh, I don't know how, uh, the owners aren't going to want to continue that obviously, but what's the American hockey league or the East coast league or the Western hockey league, they can't survive with no fans, not a chance markets like Prince Albert. Well, Lloyd Minster junior a, you know, I've, you guys, you got to have those fans. That's, that's the only way they survive. So what happens to hockey? Like, so I've been, uh, there's been no days off in these 40, whatever, two days since we rescheduled, Monday morning, we got at it after the Regina event, um, and we had everything rescheduled to the fall. I would have, I was supposed to have six events in May, four of them being the Monster Energy televised events, so we've got them all rescheduled now to the fall. But there's no saying we can do it in the fall yet, but at least we have time on our side. Um, um, so that's allowing me to focus more on the hockey thing right now. One of the other things I read on the NHL – is the salary cap, right? You're talking about what happens with the AHL, all the lower levels. Well, if they have no fans in the stands, they're already talking that the salary cap might drop. Yeah. And, well, last time I checked, how the heck does that work with everybody then? Because not everybody's, you know, the salary cap's what, 80 million, 79, 80? 81.5. Thank you. And if all of a sudden you drop down to even 75, let's say, how many teams are already over that? And how do you well, get over that? That's why I th- just, forgive me, I'm moving around here on you, just getting my phone plugged in. Um, no, I don't, I don't think, um, I don't think the cap goes down next year, but I know I'm pretty confident it won't go up. Um, cause there's too many teams that'd be in too much trouble right now. Um, to try to get under that cap. Like last year, the cap was supposed to go up 1.5 million. And uh, it was supposed to be at 83 million. And, and those GMs, I promise you, have never worked as hard as they did last summer to, uh, to manage that. Um, I had one GM, actually the assistant GM tell me every day, every day they get to the office in the morning and the first 30 minutes is discussing how they manage their salary cap that, that day, that day, not that week, that day. So uh, it's big business. That's they all have capologists now, and and those guys that that work those numbers for them. So um, I couldn't imagine if it went backwards. Like a team, like Las Vegas, for example, they're pushing it right now. Like they're at it every day. Washington Capitals, and they got to get you know, are they going to re-sign Holtby? I don't know. They got to get a. They're pushing it every day, and and it, to lose a million and a half doesn't sound like a lot. But I know what a million and a half did to my negotiations on Michael Furlan last year, not it not going up a million and a half. So I couldn't imagine it going the other way. Is July 1st like one of your funnest days or not? Um, it's a rewarding day and it's also an ass kicking day too. So it can go either way. Um, you, Do you, you can, like... You could, well, you get a week to talk, like usually June 23rd. I was just going to say, yeah. The interview that just period came in. start. Yeah. Is, yeah. Have you enjoyed that? Because that's new in the past, what, three, four years? Yeah. So that allows you to get rolling. And yeah, sometimes you can you can have some, you know, commitments done um, 
four or five days in advance. So, um, yeah, I like I like July one. I don't know when July one is going to come this year, though. Um, we will have a July first on the calendar, but it, it likely isn't going to be free agency for the National Hockey League this year. We have to, you know, we got to have a draft. We're supposed to be in Montreal the end of June. We're not going to be there. And how do you determine who picks first if you don't have a Stanley Cup champion? So there's lots of lots of scenarios and like, you know they got to play out the, the, the rest of the 12 game. They can't just go on a win percentage or, you know, there's been talk that they go back to 68 games and they'll take those teams to, you can't do that. You, you want, you want to win a Stanley cup with the asterisk beside it saying COVID year less than seat. No, 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 you don't want no, to do that. You can't do that. Owners, no. Ownership doesn't want that. General managers don't want that. The players on the bubble, they don't want that. Like they want a chance to, you know, the Ottawa senators, we know aren't going to make it, you know, the New Jersey devils, but there's a lot of teams right in the mix. The one thing I learned, um, I was researching, uh, the, the, the Spanish flu and in 1919 in game six of the Stanley cup finals, they shut it down. And that was, uh, Montreal Canadians were playing the Seattle, Metropolitan, um, Metropolitans. And in mm-hmm. game six, about six hours before the game, they closed it down. And I guess on the Stanley Cup, which I've never seen, uh, or never looked that hard at, I should say, says uh, no winner or something along that lines. Really? Yeah. 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 And, and right it's, now, it's... as it keeps progressing, although, you know, you, you see Saskatchewan and we're hopefully going the other way. We're hopefully uh, um, they got a five phase plan out now and it looks like, yep. you know, if things are okay, they're going to start to, you know, but like you say, if they want, I don't, I don't know. It's you look at the United States, it's not the easiest thing to just be like, boom, light bulb. Let's go back to filling buildings and playing some hockey games. It ain't going to be that yeah. easy. No, no. It's like, you know, they're not going to be playing hockey in Madison Square Garden anytime soon. And I'm not a scientist or a doctor, but it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. You know, you're in a hot spot in the world, in the basically, world. right yeah. now. So uh, it's going to be challenging. No, there's talks that, you know, one, one city out of each division or out of each, uh, yeah, out of each division, sorry, will be the, the home ring. Um, and I believe Edmonton is the Pacific division right this, now. Um, yeah. That, yeah. yeah. So each team will have their own hotel and um, it'll be interesting there. The PBR got a lot of sports coverage. ESPN picked up um, what they were doing in the U S. So there's going to be, there's going to be, uh, there's going to be commissioners taking a look at how they did it. Um, and I got to give Sean Gleason some credit for what he did. He, I was on the emails, reading the emails. And like I said, I've been, talking with the PA on what the PBR was doing and, and informing them, yes, they're going ahead and doing it, which they couldn't believe they were going to get it done. Um, but Oklahoma is one of the states that's partially open. They actually wanted to do it the week before um, Easter, but the community at Guthrie was in an uproar over it. So once you had that kind of pushback, they had to just slow it up. And But they were ready to go two weeks ago with this plan. So um, it'll be interesting 
what happens, but uh, they got to get these 10, 12 games played and get the playoffs going, uh, made for TV. I think um, that's the best for the game. But again, we got to look out for the safety yeah. of mankind. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, we've never had to say that. We've never had to say that in our lifetime, but it's, it's a fact, um, you know, it'd be nice to get this cure figured out and we get our lives back to normal. And I've got the same issue. I want to, you know, I want to fill the Lloydminster uh, exhibition building up here in December for our PBR. That's, you know, I want to get back to work. I'm, you know, you're itching. I'm unemployed right now. I'm unemployed, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> Oiler fans, Oiler fans might kill me if I had you on for this amount of time and didn't ask about Ethan Bear. Because I know you represent Ethan Bear. Is uh, right yeah. there, man. Right there. It's my shirt. I didn't realize we were. I I swear I didn't realize I was. We were going to sure. be on. Uh-huh. I did not know that. I thought <laughs> I just was going to talk to you. I didn't know I was. So that's. I got the COVID scruff like you, and and I just wearing a t-shirt. So anyway, back to Ethan Bear. Well, I would think I'm in, like most of Oiler fans. We want to hear that he's getting signed long-term and he is going nowhere because he has been an absolute pleasure to watch. He has been. Um, that's what makes the job fun is when you see a guy that um, has kind of taken an opportunity that was given and run with and literally run with it. Um, um, you look at some underlying numbers of his, like he's – He's got some great numbers. Um, we obviously, we haven't even talked yet. So there's no rush because we don't even know when the 2021 season is going to start yet. We got to get through this one. But uh, I would expect that Ethan Bear would be a priority for the Edmonton Oilers. Um, you know, they got Nurse signed up. They got Jones signed to a two-year deal. So um, he would be next. They got Cassian signed. So I would think he'd be the next uh piece to the puzzle that needs to get done with uh, Ken. Um, I spent so much time on the phone with Bill Scott and Bob Nicholson the last 10 days or two weeks. Um, um, but it was obviously in a different, in a different situation situation. So, you know what, Ethan's at home. Um, he's, uh, getting to skate a little bit on the reserve that are at our chapel waste. He's just enjoying some downtime and, but there's a kid right there that figured it out. He learned how to be a pro. He got that little stint uh, in his first pro year, and he never got one game last year. He suffered some injuries. But he also didn't uh, – I don't think he took his off-ice as serious um, two summers ago as he did last summer, which is obvious. Um, and you could just see you – could, you could see it in his face. Um, we had dinner in October one night after uh, um, the Washington game, it would have been in, the, in October. And uh, you can just like the the kids. He figured it out. He's in superb shape. Um, I think his hockey sense is off the charts. Um, that that little pass that he can make out of his end, like so calm, cool, and um, you know, I just keep telling him, just get it to that captain. Like pass that guy the puck. You got dry saddle. You got nude. You got some really good players you know what, just make that first pass. And that's what he's been doing. And, you know, he really didn't even get a bunch of opportunity on the power play. You take a look at his numbers in Seattle and and Barzell's numbers. Well, Barzell's a great player, not taking anything away from it. But who do you think was teeing the pucks up on the blue line for Barzell and making those passes? It was uh, 
it was Ethan Bear. So there's a lot more. There, he's got a lot more to show. Um, well, and you can see more. that when he's playing. Like when when he first stepped on the ice there, however long ago that was now, all my days are mixed right now. It doesn't matter. But when he yeah. first came on, like you could see, oh, there's something there. Like there is something there that's going to be fun to watch for years to come. Yeah, you- well, and he's and the confidence that he, you know, he's been having fun. He loves the game, and he's got a really good supportive family, um, great family. Um, again, you know, I think, well, he was a bantam player when I when Ethan come on board. So I've, you know, you build a relationship with mom and dad first, right? So. Uh, and he got drafted out there to Seattle and, and, uh, they drove out once a month, minimum once a month to see him in Seattle. Um, so lots of support from home and, uh, he's figured out how to be a pro. Well, really appreciate you coming on here and, and sitting down with me. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's been very, very interesting. And I could probably hold you here for another hour, but it's uh it's one of those things where I don't want to overstay our welcome because it's it's been a lot of fun and I can see where down the road I'm going to be hassling you and I probably caught you at a perfect time because I mean you sound like an extremely busy guy and uh well this thing's open up you're unemployment unemployed right now but that means I get an opportunity yeah. to sit down with you for a little bit yeah. so yeah your timing's impeccable Sean <laughs> well <laughs> We'll do the final the final segment. It's five questions. It's uh, the Crude Master Final Five. Shout out to Heath and Tracy McDonald here in town. They're sponsors of the podcast. And uh, so it's just five quick questions, longer, okay. short as you want. So if you could sit okay. down for a beer with one person, who would you want it to be? It could be past, present, anywhere around the world. Uh, who would you want to sit and, and pick the brain of? Um, my grandpa, Wes. I never got to meet him. He was killed in the in a car accident when my dad was 16 but i hear lots of uh, of stuff from family how um kind of how i resemble him a little bit so that would be i'd like to meet him have a beer with him and i know he'd have the beer for sure from what i hear <laughs> are you a beer guy uh yeah but i like yeah tequila i'm a tequila guy uh Rum guy, scotch guy, but tequila. I really like my tequila. Good tequilas. I'll remember that. Next time you're through Lloyd, we'll, have, we'll hopefully be in the podcast studio, and I'll sit you down for a tequila. Okay. Fair Repres- enough. If you could represent one athlete, doesn't matter the sport. I'm not saying hockey. I'm not saying bull riding. I'm saying if you could represent one athlete right now across any sport, who would you want to be? Mm-hmm. Any sport. Oh, well, the great one, Wayne Gretzky, for sure, I think. Uh, yeah, Wayne. Yeah, that's not a bad choice. <laughs> I was, I was, uh, I yeah. was expecting yeah, like. I would have done all right on that. I was expecting like Muhammad Ali or, well, actually, I was even Jordan, right? But none of those. Well, I, Michael Jordan was going through my mind. It was for sure. It was. But none of those uh, are bad real answers because I mean, can you imagine being Gretzky's agent? Yeah, yeah. That, um, the I, only the only problem you would have had back in the day was, you know, they weren't making 
twenty million dollar contracts. Not that they're making twenty. What's the highest now? Thirteen point five. Yeah, twelve point five. You you'd make a living off Wayne after hockey, you know, appearances, uh, all that stuff. So that would have been the gift that kept on giving when you represent the great one. True. Just if like could, Brady. Brady is another guy that was like. How much? I thought of him too. How much fun is Brady going to be having in Tampa Bay and now getting Gronk there? Yeah, it's it'll, that'll be changing for the ownership and the fans, everything. You watch, that's that's awesome stuff. I love that. That's what I love about sports, what individuals can bring to a franchise, like Michael Jordan, obviously, to the Bulls, you know, Connor McDavid to the Edmonton Oilers. I hope Ethan Bear to the Edmonton Oilers, some, you know. That's what I love about sports. If you could, if one organization approached you to come join them, what organization would you want to join? Vegas Golden Knights. Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah, love the city. Favorite yeah. city in the world. I've never been. I've never been to Vegas. How weird is that? Seems like the yeah, easiest place to get to. I'll have to get there. Um, your final one is your favorite team was Philly, yeah? Growing up, yeah. What guy off that team would you have wanted to represent? Ooh, pick one. Probably Hexy, Ron Hextall. Ron Hextall? He, yeah, he's a, he's a beauty, man. <laughs> Western Canadian boy. He's a beauty. Just watch this. Just highlight, like, YouTube <laughs> Ron Hextall. He's a beauty. <laughs> No, Ron Hextall was uh, a character. That's the way I would describe Ron Hextall's playing style. Yeah. No, I'd have to say him. Well, cool. Well, thanks again for hopping on with me, Jason. Really appreciate it. Uh, it was my pleasure, Sean. This was It was fun. Um, I don't get to talk like this and, and get asked questions about stuff. I usually uh, keep a lot of that stuff to myself. So it was a lot of fun. I appreciate you having me. Right on. Well, we'll have to do it again sometime. Yeah, I'll do that. Let's let's do it under better circumstances when I really do have to try to find some time to get this in. Um, the last 40 days, I we had plenty of time. We could have got this done, unfortunately, but uh, we'll get through it. Absolutely. Well, thanks again. We'll, we'll see you at the PBR in December. I'll now we're sure talking. You're looked after. All right, that sounds good. Awesome. Hey, folks, thanks again for joining us today. If you just stumble on the show and like what you hear, please click subscribe. Remember, every Monday and Wednesday, a new guest will be sitting down to share their story. The Sean Newman Podcast is available for free on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and wherever else you find your podcast fix. Until next time.